Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. I'm excited to bring back on the podcast one of my favorite guests, Bex Weller of Sexy Sobriety, to talk about her new book, Chameleon, Confessions of a Formal People Pleaser. And in this episode, you are going to learn so much about people pleasing and trying to blend in in order to feel safe and avoid conflict or rejection. We're going to talk about what drives the need to be liked and approval addiction and how that can lead to just this constant underlying anxiety. We're going to touch on boundaries and how to say no and so much other good stuff. Now, you may recognize Bex from a podcast we recorded on why life after alcohol is awesome. And you can find that one at Hello Someday Coaching dot com forward slash 48. And I loved our conversation there. And there's a reason I wanted to have Bex back on because she has such amazing energy around why life after quitting drinking is so good that that is where the adventure and the joy and the fun comes in. 
So Bex, I'm going to welcome you on. She's a health coach and a life coach, an author and a speaker out of Perth, Australia, and the creator of Sexy Sobriety. She helps women from around the world get their sparkle back and create a life they love. So hi, Bex. Welcome. Hi, Casey. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it is great to have you on. And I have to say, when I saw your new book, I immediately wanted to talk about it because I am absolutely a recovering people pleaser. I mean, it is Mm -hmm. so ingrained in me that like people pleasing, overachieving combination. And when you were talking about your story, so much of it resonated with me. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something that so many women do struggle with. And I hear it from so many of our Sexy Sobriety members is that that is what's underlying the drinking for for many of us. And what happens is when we stop drinking and we don't necessarily have a strong sense of self yet, we find that we get pulled back into these people-pleasing habits even more strongly. Like in my first couple of years of sobriety, it's something that I really struggled with. And I was like, where is this all coming from? Not realizing that it had been running the show in my subconscious for my entire life. But finally, I was able to have the clarity to see what was going on. Yeah. And it's just this crazy cycle, right? Like a lot of times we have sort of this need for approval And so we feel a little bit insecure. We're looking to people outside of ourselves to fit in. And so we drink to kind of make that go away, to kind of get out of our own head and fit in. And then after we drink, we sort of have this anxiety of like, oh, shit, did I say something? Did I piss Mm -hmm. someone off? Like all of that stuff. Exactly. And and w- exactly that, because when we're drinking, we can suffer from this anxiety, right? <laughs> where we're, We have this hangover that's filled with anxiety. And because I used to have blackouts, I would wonder about what did I say? What did I do? Who's mad at me? Did I let a secret slip? Did I do all of these things? Never mind all the things about embarrassing myself. And oh, so- I am like nodding my head because I was total <laughs> like the gray out blackout girl. And yes. I definitely like my best friend told me something. And then I like shared that news, even if it was positive and then like felt terrible because it wasn't mine to share all that stuff. Awful, right? I I remember like a friend saying to me, did you tell this, this secret to someone else? And I was like, no. And I swore black and blue that I didn't, but a few other witnesses were there that said that I didn't, I didn't remember at all. So of course, every time I drank, this same anxiety would come up of, of like, what did I do? What did I say? Who did I upset? Who do I need to apologize to? Yeah. And when I stopped drinking that sort of pattern, it took a long time to go away. And, and I found myself, because I was a bit awkward in new situations, in in social situations, because I wasn't drinking, I would wonder what the right thing to say was. Like I always, I never felt like I had that problem in when I was drinking because I was always filled with bravado and Dutch courage, and I was always like, you know, the life of the party until I would mess up. But I, when I stopped drinking, now I'm suddenly trying to find my own feet, trying to find my own way in the world and how I then interact in these social situations. And did I say the right thing? And, and did I upset anyone? And was I supposed to be more enthusiastic about that? Or was I supposed to be less? I didn't have this strong sense of self yet. I didn't have this strong sense of confidence that comes with longer term sobriety. And so I kept giving my power away to others where I would be like, okay, I will be whatever they want me to be in order to fit in. 
Yeah. Yeah. And having that sort of need for approval or looking, you know, sort of for that safety of blending in can hold women back from stopping drinking because we do live in such a drinking environment and we probably all have friends who drink a lot because we were drinkers. So when you stop drinking, you're automatically sort of taking yourself out of that. And that's a lot of the work that we do when people stop drinking to make yourself comfortable with that and sort of to overcome those fears. Definitely. Oh my gosh. In such big drinking societies, it is becoming a rebel. Like it's going against the norm by not drinking. And so already you're right. And as humans, we, we crave connection. We want to belong. And so by removing ourselves from that sort of social uh, norm, we're already distancing ourselves or making ourselves seem different or other than. And that can be terrifying at first. That was the thing that worried me the most when I wanted to stop drinking. What will people think? What will people say? Will I be invited anywhere? Will I have any friends left? And I hear this from so many women that this is the biggest fear about stopping drinking is the fear of being different, the fear of not fitting in. Yeah. And so I love all that. And, you know, when you said this is our deepest fear, I wanted to talk about that because that's sort of a underlying theme of your book, talking about the fear that drives the people pleasing. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, I once listened to a podcast and there was a a clinical um, psychologist on there and she was talking about the deepest human fear. And she said it was that we are unlovable. And As I listened to this, you know, just the clogs started to turn in my head where I was like, yeah, is this what has been underlying so many things in my life where, you know, when I was a teenager, I struggled with body issues and and struggled with sort of disordered eating. And underlying that was this thought that if I was thinner, people would love me more. And when I was in my early 30s and I was rushing to to get down the aisle it was because i was worried about what would people think if i wasn't married yet what if i what would people think if i wasn't married by 30 oh my gosh well i won't fit in or i'll be left on the shelf or all these things that these beliefs that i had and that was driven by this underlying belief that if i'm not married then it means i'm unlovable and you know the more i started to become aware of this i was like this is what's driving it was what was driving a lot of my drinking as well like if i drink then i'm more sociable then people will love me more and i'll be more sort of confident and outgoing and it was also what was driving my people pleasing because i was like if i do and say what other people want me to then i'll be loved more like i will be lovable you know forgetting completely that I was looking for someone else's love. I wasn't giving myself love. I was looking for someone else's, which when you stop to think about that is is kind of nutso because it's like, well, why didn't you start within? Like, why do you think that you need someone else's love if you don't even love yourself? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48, so if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens 
They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H dot com and use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that is sort of the big work that needs to be done, right? When you stop drinking, I always think that actually removing the alcohol is like 10% of the work. And the rest Mm -hmm. of the work is actually kind of grounding yourself in what you want in life and who you are and boundaries and, you know, honoring what your own internal compass is versus everyone else around you. And that's what leads to real happiness. Yeah, for sure. And it's building that confidence up, right? That self-worth, that self-trust, all of those things get so damaged in those years of drinking. You know, I would break promises to myself over and over again, even if it was just about, I won't drink this this Friday, but then I would, or I'll only have two drinks, but then I'd have seven. You know, I would keep breaking them and I didn't feel like I could trust myself. And so as for when people would talk about, oh, you have to listen to your gut or listen to your intuition, I did not, I couldn't fathom what that actually meant. I would sort of like nod and think, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I get what you mean. But I totally didn't. Like underneath it all, I had no idea how to tune into myself because I kept looking to everyone else for answers. And it becomes this cycle where the more we we lose trust in ourselves, the more we look to others for answers, the less we listen to ourselves, and it just keeps perpetuating itself. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you, did you write something in the book about moving a lot or moving as a child? Mm, yeah, I did. I went to three different primary schools before I was 10. Yeah. Yeah. That, like my, I was totally like nodding my head as I was reading this because, you know, my background is my parents were in American embassies overseas. They were with the foreign mm. service. So I moved my entire life. You know, we lived in, you know, the US when I was five, and then Paraguay in South America, then Zambia in Africa, and then Brazil, and sort of on and on. And so I'm going into these elementary schools, knowing I'm only going to be there for two to three years, zero friends, and trying immediately to fit in with any group in a completely different culture. And so when you talked about like constantly sort of scanning the room, trying to blend in to feel safe and figuring out what other people, you know, liked, like, because it was completely different wherever I went, I mean, night and day. And so I was like, doing that shape shifting that you talk about, just to try to be like, okay, if I have friends, I'm going to be good, and I won't be bullied. And, 
you know, I'll have somewhere to go on my birthday, that kind of stuff. Yeah, of course. And, you know, this, these people-pleasing habits are usually formed when we're children, whether it's because we we had parents who taught us that we only received attention when we were good or perfect or did what, what we were told, or whether we changed schools a lot and we, ha- we had to find this way to blend in. And it was a survival mechanism. Like it was something that was, as kids, you of course you want friends. You want someone to have birthday cake with. You want all those things. And so, of course, you're going to be very resilient and very um, adept at finding these ways to blend in. And what we don't realize is that these patterns are formed and they become very concrete in our subconscious. And we continue to do that when we become adults, even though we no longer need to. Yeah, exactly. And so tell me what your goal was in writing the book in terms of like helping other women. You know, this issue, I see it time and time again, and I see that women really struggle with it when they want to stop drinking because it's something that holds them back, but also when they actually have stopped drinking, like they struggle with this confidence, building this confidence. So my my overall goal was to, to help them see that everything they need is already inside of them, that this well, we can rebuild our self-worth, our self-confidence, our self-trust, our self-esteem. We can rebuild all of these things, but in a way that's kind and gentle and generous to others while protecting ourselves. Because I think a lot of people think of self-care as a selfish thing, as though that's not directly connected to our way that we interact with others. And so I wanted to show them that you, you can – you can still have amazing relationships without giving yourself away, without abandoning yourself. And there are specific steps that you kind of go through in the book, right, to talk about how to do that. I loved that. I thought it was really useful, both sort of recognizing approval addiction and then talking about boundaries and saying no. What are the key mm-hmm. things you think women need to do? You know, this approval addiction, this was something that we had a uh, an, an amazing uh, teacher come into the Sexy Sobriety program at one point, and she was talking about approval addiction. And this was the first time I'd really heard about it. And she was talking about the world being one th- split into one thirds, if you can think about it like that. So one third of the people are totally our people. Like they love us. They love everything we do and they totally get the real us. And then there's one third of people who will always be indifferent. They're not really fussed on whether we're, what we're doing or what we're saying. And then there's another third who will never like us no matter what. We just, they don't gel with us or we remind them of someone that they didn't like in the past or something like that. And yet we spend so long trying to get all of these people to like us instead of just focusing on the one third, being our crazy selves and just like letting our freak flag fly and just embracing those people. We bend over backwards trying to win over these two other sections and we never will win them over no matter what we do. And so we abandon ourselves for no reason. And so, you know, this, this, focusing on this one third and really going deeper with those was another element I really wanted to explore in the book where we can have amazing relationships if we're more selective as well. I think in this modern society, we tend to look on social media and have FOMO and think, I need more friends. Like I always need more, more, more. But when we stop to consider what sort of relationships we really want and will be deeply fulfilling, we can go deeper with that one third of people and 
remain true to ourselves. And of course, we have more fun because we're being our complete selves. And so, you know, we, we can start to, um, to, to go deeper with those people while also looking at the other two groups. And I know that we all tend to have people in our lives who, um, are not always easy to get along with, especially in families, colleagues, you know, people like that, that you don't selectively choose as your friends. So I wanted to explore also how to set boundaries with those people, how to be able to trust them with your whole heart while also protecting yourself and also what to say. And this is something that I talk about in the book is that I didn't even know how to say no to a date, you know, like a guy asked me out and I didn't even know how to say no to him, even though I didn't like him. I'd been on one date that was terrible and I didn't want to go on another one with him. And I had to ask a colleague, like, what do I say? Like, how do I say it without being, you know, I was so worried about being nice and likable all the time, even by someone that I didn't really care for, even though I didn't like him. I was worried about him liking me. And so, you know, really exploring like how we can say no in ways that feel really good and feel really strong and mature and respectful. I love that because actually there is, you know, a whole section in my course and I've got a blog on it about sort of the nice girl's guide to saying no, because I feel like so many of us struggle with that because A, most women are are really good at getting things done, right? We're like, Mm -hmm. oh shit, it needs to get done and I can do it. Therefore, I should. And then we're also worried about like being seen as a bitch or unhelpful or selfish or whatever. And so, you know, I, I, there is like, I follow this like five step formula for saying no, which I completely had to learn. And I love that you had something very similar in your book because I was like, you know, it's sort of like you can just follow the script and, you know, move through it. Yeah, true, right? And and one of the things that I that I practiced most of all was extending my reaction time. You know, in the past when I was confronted or I was surprised with something, I would keep blurting things out trying to sort of figure out what I wanted to say and I would invariably make my make a big mess of it. And so I started to just extend that reaction time where I was like, let me just think about what they're saying or let me say to them, okay, look, I, I, I hear you that that event sounds amazing. I've got a lot on my calendar at the moment, but let me check and I'll get back to you. Just mm-hmm. something to give myself that leeway to think about it if I wasn't sure. Yeah. Because I tend, you know, I hear this from a lot of women as well. Like I I'm have discovered in sobriety <laughs> that I'm quite introverted and, and, and a sensitive kind of creature. And so I, I like to think about things first and start instead of just sort of thinking on my feet and coming up with the, the answer straight away. And so having, giving myself this time as well, it's, it's a form of self care that we don't really think about is these, these kinds of boundaries and how to say no and that we can learn these communication skills and conflict resolution skills as well. This is another thing I talk about in the book is that I had no idea that I thought everyone was was either born with confidence and this ability to to stand up for themselves. I had no idea that there were skills just like riding a bike that yeah, you could it's learn like a and muscle get to be built. Yes, I saw I in the book no that idea. you were like, maybe it's Americans. They just learned yes. this. And it was like it is not <laughs> Americans. We do not. Maybe some people. <laughs> I 
did because I always watched the American reality shows and everyone was talking about their feelings and everyone was like, you know, very, very new what to say about everything. And in Australia, we tend to be quite awkward all the time. And so our reality shows as well, the people, the contestants are very awkward. <laughs> and so to watch this, I was like, wow, they must teach them in elementary school to get up and talk about your feelings. Yes. And so and so then I would watch these UK shows and the same thing would happen. And, you know, I started to read and to research and to investigate this because I was very curious. And when I learned that you could practice them, I was like, okay, well, just think about it like a skill. You know, it's, it, it can be awkward and then it can become elegant as you become stronger in it. And the more you do this as well, like this is such a beautiful cycle in reverse where the more you do say no in a loving way, the more that you uh, find yourself uh, responding to things in ways that make you feel proud, mm-hmm. the more you build your self-esteem and the more you do it because you feel better about yourself. So you want to protect your energy and your time. So you say no again and you feel better about yourself. And so yeah. it keeps going. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety, and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. And one, I completely agree because one, saying no is if you say yes to everything that you don't want to do or that is one more thing on your to-do list, one, it builds resentment which is a big reason that people drink because they're resentful. They're not happy. They have no time for yourself. Two, it builds overwhelm, which again, big, big trigger to drink. So resentment and overwhelm are two big ones. And they all come from saying yes to everything, you know, regardless of whether it would be something you would enjoy or it sounds good, but you already have a full plate. So I always tell women when they're starting in early sobriety, like, I want you to pick two things every single week that are on your list that you just are not going to do. You're going to offload it, delegate it, push it off, decide just it's not going to get done. Because we're so uncomfortable with that. It is that's building the muscle. 
Oh, I love that so much. Definitely. That resentment, that overwhelm. And, you know, every time I would say yes to someone when I really wanted to say no, I would go down this rabbit hole of this resentment and feeling so angry with them for asking in the first place and angry with myself for saying yes to something that I didn't want to do for betraying myself. And you're right, those times as well, like I remember throughout my drinking years, that was driven so much, like so much of my drinking was driven by that and that overwhelm as well of like, I'll never get all these things done in this week. So I'll just drink so I don't have to think about it. Well, it's driven by just insecurity, right? And I don't say that in a bad way. I think that so many of us feel insecure and want, you know, want that security, that acceptance, that inclusion. And so you say yes, and then you resent it. And then you feel more insecure, right? It's just a vicious cycle. It is, it is. And then you find yourself Uh, I certainly did. I would find myself avoiding those people afterwards because I was like, if I avoid them, then they can't ask me for anything and I don't have to end up in this cycle again. So, you know, I I thought that drinking brought me closer to people, but actually with all these things going on, it didn't. It drove me further apart. Like I think once we start to explore these healthy boundaries as well, we also explore a new level of honesty in our relationships where we're saying, listen, this behavior is not okay with me, or actually, I can't do that thing for you this week. I'm really sorry, but I hope you find someone who can. You start to um, reach a new level of respect and honesty in those relationships where there was none before. I think when we constantly are putting on an act in a way to fit in, we you know, we, it's not real. Those relationships are just built on quicksand because we're not being our authentic selves. So any love or respect or admiration that that version of us gets is superficial because it's not real. It's not really us. Yeah. And there's so many ways you said one of the ways like, oh, it's not a great fit for me right now. And that Mm -hmm. there are incredibly like so many ways to casually say no in a positive way that aren't as scary as you think they are. So if this is something you're uncomfortable with, I mean, the the way that I go about saying no is like, first you compliment the person yes. who's requesting your time, energy, and it can be anything from like, thank you for asking me, or even like, oh my gosh, I love your shirt. Like it can be anything, yes. right? Like, oh, so great to see you. Love your shirt. Then you say no to the request. Like, I love your idea of asking for time. Like, let me check my schedule is great too. But you can also just say no. And then you thank them for asking or for thinking of you. You encourage them in their project. And then you just like change the subject, excuse yourself, move on. And you can literally like go down the script. But, you know, like there are ways to say it like, oh, sounds like a lovely evening, but maybe another time. Or you know, I'm flattered you considered me, but unfortunately I have to pass right now. I just can't fit it in my schedule. You know, it's just, you know, oh, I'm sorry. That's not really my thing. I Let's find, you know, something else later. Like it doesn't have to be harsh. I think that's yes. the issue. Exactly. Exactly. Saying no, I had so much uh, energy around it. And I think I hear this from so many women as well is that we, we struggle with that saying no, because we want to be likable, because we don't want to be seen as being selfish or being, you know, a a witch or something. And so we, we struggle with this. And so 
being able to um, play with a few different scripts and you can practice at home as well. Like I did this often when I, when I knew I was seeing people who would ask things of me, I would practice a few different scripts before I'd go, you know, much like I used to before drinking, um, tell myself, oh no, I'm, you know, I'd go, I'm only going to drink like this and stuff. I will practice different scripts and then I'll go in there and I'll feel like a lot more uh, confident. And the more we do this, the more confident we become, the easier it becomes. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, there's a good reason that we act that way, right? Like we have been conditioned a lot of us since we were little girls to be helpful and to be nice and to get along and, you know, we get our pats on our head when we volunteer and, you know, are really busy. A lot of us get rewarded, you know, positive approval for accomplishing a lot. So there's a lot of good reasons that we feel uncomfortable saying no, because, you know, we get so much positive reinforcement when we don't. Exactly, exactly. And it's, and especially as women, you know, in traditionally in for generations, we've been conditioned to be the, uh, the pleasers, the, the carers, the caretakers, the, uh, assistants. And so, of course, like we, when we think of other women as well, that we, we expect this of each other and, the more this starts to change, the more we can sort of cheer each other on as we respect our own boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. So one part that I loved was you said that you were less interested in exploring who you were and more interested in figuring out who other people wanted you to be. And that one of the cool things about sort of breaking that pattern was really tuning into your uniqueness and what you loved. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Because if you think about it, right, we all believe we want to be radical individualists, but we're all so worried about fitting in and being different. And so when I started to think about who I really was, I realized there's so much magic in being unique anyway. Like why are we so hell bent on trying to fit in all the time and be the same as everyone else? If you think about your favorite uh, singer or book or pizza shop, they all do something specific that's unique to them, right? That's why you love them. That's why you have a deep affinity for them is because you really appreciate the thing about them that is different. And it's the same for all of us. We just forget because we're, we have this deep ancestral programming of we need to fit in. We need to belong. We need to be part of, of the group and to, remove ourselves from that or to step away from that can be terrifying but it is actually what makes us it so beautiful and special and interesting and if you think about each of your friends or the people in your life that you really love and care about you probably realize that each of them has something that's specific and unique and special about them like one of them might make you crack up laughing every time or or one might might give you really great advice. And if all of those people were exactly the same as each other, life would be pretty boring, right? And the more I started to think about this, the more I was like, yeah, it's great that we can be unique. Like, why why are we not celebrating our differences? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you know, one of the things you said is that, you know, there is freedom that comes from liberating yourself from trying to fit in as well and seek approval. 
Exactly. Because I had spent so much time worried about what people thought about me, even when I didn't particularly like them. <laughs> and, and to, to liberate yourself from that, it just feels amazing. Like so, so much freedom comes with that where you're like, you know, I've got my one third of people that I'm focused on. I've got my, my loves, my, my friends, my family that I want to go deeply with and have amazing, honest, open relationships with. Um, but then they're the rest of the people. It's okay if they don't like me. Like it's, it's not the end of the world. Not, I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Not everyone likes chocolate. Not everyone likes ice cream. You know, there's nothing wrong with them, but just people don't like them. And it's just comes back to those, um, personal opinions. And so, you know, I always love that saying as well about, you know, what other people think of you is none of your business. Yeah. And it just, it's just so liberating to think, okay, well, it's okay if they, if they get the wrong idea about me. It's okay if they have their own concept of who I am. I know who I am. And I think yeah. the more we become strong in our own self-worth and our own confidence, the, the less we care about what others think of us because we realize that what well, all, all that really matters is what I think of myself. Like, am I proud of what I'm doing? Am I really growing and, um, learning as a human every single day? And does that make me feel really good? Then what does it matter if people that I don't particularly, um, love or know, what, what does it matter what they think of me? Yeah, absolutely. And I always think of two things that kind of help me because I, you know, I said I'm recovering people pleasers. So this is like ongoing work. One is the sort of quote around like, you're going to be too much for some people. Those aren't your people. Like the, mm -hmm. find your people, find the people who make you feel like the best possible version of yourself and sort of just like go towards that because if you're constantly around someone who makes you feel less than or not good enough, that's not your people and that's okay, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And the other yeah. thing I always think of is like, because this was hard for me with a boss at work, was we were just, you know, very different. And she was sort of a hard charging type A, climbed the corporate ladder, didn't have kids, really wanted to get promoted and be in all these business meetings. And I reported to her. So she wanted that of me too. And I didn't want to work weekends and nights. And I wanted to be home with my kids. And I didn't want to be on the road. And so one thing I had to ask myself is, do I want what she has? And I apply this to lots of people. Like, do I want what they have, their values, their priorities, their relationships, their lives? And if the answer is no, by definition, they won't approve of what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're not measuring up to what they think is important. But if you get their approval, you are building your life into something you don't want to be. Exactly. You, you end up with the wrong life if you're yeah. just making decisions because you're trying to do what other people want you to do. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that is as well, it comes back to the, um, you know, taking other people's criticism. It's you, if you look at the people who are criticizing you, you, you can sort of think, would I take advice from them? Am yes. I, would I want the sort of life that they have? Then why am I taking their criticism on board? Yeah. And it's hard when you're a kid because you really have very little power when yes. you're a child. You don't have power in your home necessarily for your parents, often not with your older siblings, certainly not in school with teachers. 
So it is difficult, but once we're grown, you really do get to choose your Mm -hmm. friend group and how much time and energy and access even family members get to you. Like it's, it's a muscle to be worked, but it can be done. Definitely. And, and, you know, we, I think also when we have low self-esteem, we put up with the love that we think we deserve. We, we give ourselves away to people who, um, don't necessarily treat us well. Like I know I, when I stopped drinking, I was in these friendship groups where people would, you know, if I did something that I was proud of, but they would find some way to sort of backhand, uh, criticize it. There would be some sort of toxic comment pushed in there that made me feel really bad about myself or made me question what I had created or, or made me feel ashamed of what I had created when I, I, 10 minutes ago, I was feeling proud of it. And so I started to look at these people I was hanging out with and being, being like, okay, if they, if I keep going and hanging out with them and they keep making these comments, am I ever going to feel safe to be completely me? Or am I better off fostering these relationships with these other friends where they could, they totally love me. They, when, when I put something out there or I create something, they totally uh, cheer me on and encourage me and are excited for my success just as I am of theirs. And so, you know, I think this is something as well that comes with that building the confidence and being in those cycles as well is like, as you start to build your confidence and you start to, to really, uh, become closer to those people who are good for you, you boost your confidence again because you see yourself coming out of your shell and being completely you. Yeah. And it's okay to edit your social circle and to edit your Mm -hmm. lives. A lot of us worry about that we're being mean by Mm -hmm. sort of shifting who we spend our time and energy with. But in the book, you talk about how behind every yes is actually a no to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a big deal if you're constantly sacrificing the people who make you feel good or the activities to making someone else happy. Exactly. Because I always think about what would happen if we each had like a timer above our heads that counted down the hours and minutes that we had left in our lives, you know, because we, we tend to think that we have all the time in the world, but it's just not the case. We're all going to go sometime. And so the more we can sort of focus on the things that bring us joy and that, that, uh, we give time to things that enrich our lives, the, the more fulfilled we'll be, the happier that we'll be, the more confident we'll be. And when we look at, requests from others, you know, we really need to look at the time spent on that, like we could be spending that time becoming closer to those that we really love and care for, or on causes that we really are passionate about, rather than running around town because a colleague from 10 years ago asked you to get something. (laughs) Yeah, well, so give me some examples of the way you've sort of shifted you know, what you say no to or what you do less and what you do more of? I suppose what one thing I used to do a lot, especially when I was starting out in in business, in becoming a health coach and creating all this, this stuff, is I used to say yes to everything. And I was so... I wanted to build the business, of course, and I wanted to get my message out there. And so I was very much a yes person. You know, someone would say, can you do a 5,000 word article and have it on my desk by Friday? Sure. Can you be part of my tele summit and, and, uh, spend all of these hours doing all of this work? Sure. And so, of course, this was a recipe for burnout. I worked myself silly and I had no time left for the people that I really care about. And I started to 
One thing that I think can be really helpful is sort of tracking your time as well, like what you're actually spending your time on and who you're saying yes to and who you're saying no to. And I think with the people closest to us, it can be very tempting to say, oh, I'll just see you next week or I'll see you the next week after as though they'll always be there. And really when we stop to think about, you know, our this year as a or, you know, any year as a as a time capsule, you sort of can start to think about where you want that time to go. Um, and I started to, uh, with as this awareness was coming in, to start saying yes more to my closest friends and family, to to doing things with them, to coming up with new ideas of ways that we could go deeper in them. Because I hear this as well from a lot of women when we stop drinking is that we tended to want a lot of social circles before. For me, it was all about quantity. More people to drink with means that if any of them drop out, I've still got other people to drink with. And when I started to, when I stopped drinking, I started to realize, oh, okay, hang on. I think I might be a little bit more introverted. I think I might like enjoy small groups of friends and catch ups and, and one on ones where I can look into the eyes of my friend and really connect on a deep level. And realizing this as well is, I think, part of the process of thinking about who we actually want to say yes with. And you know, I, it might sound a bit morbid, but I do think about like the, this precious lifetime and how much time we have and, and what we want to spend that on. So I say yes to friends and family a lot more now. And I say no to, to 99% of things that I get asked to do in my business because I also have get very focused. And, I, and this is something I talk about in the book is about realizing what our priorities are. And for me, I realized mine were, were or still are, um, living a healthy lifestyle, uh, friends and family and creative work. And when it comes to my creative work, I know that I want to do more books. And that's something that I, that I really um, am focused on. And I think the more we become focused on what our biggest priorities are, the more we can sort of, if you think about your calendar, put them in there first and then it becomes easier to say no to others. So rather than allowing anyone to come up and ask, ask for your time and pushing yourself to the end of the, of the, um, your to-do list, you instead can start to look at, okay, hang on. No, I have these higher priorities. And if I say yes to someone else, then I'm saying no to the, to my friends and family, to my healthy lifestyle, you know, whether it's going to yoga class or going to the smoothie bar or whatever, <laughs> or to, to, to your biggest priorities, um, in your career or, um, your creative world. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting and, and something to explore is, figuring out what your highest priorities are, not for your kids or your spouse or your boss, but for yourself. And that can fit in some of the other people that you adore in your life. But really saying like, okay, for this year ahead, what what are my top priorities? What are the, the big things that I want to make sure I focus on? And a lot of us never do that. We're just got our endless list of to do's and schedules. And we never sit down and say, okay, if I, if I only focused on three things this year, what are the buckets that I would want them to be? 
Yeah, it's such a powerful exercise. It really is. And you can do it at the start of the year. You can do it in mid-year. You can do it anytime where you start to think about, okay, what are my highest priorities? Like in three years, what do I want to have achieved? What do I want to have um, happening in my relationships? What do I want to have happening in my work life? Mm-hmm. And when we start to sort of look at it like that, and, and something that I that is can be also very powerful is to say, okay, in three years, like for example, right now I'm 46 years old. In three years, I'll be 49. And to really like name those ages as well, you start to see, ah, okay, suddenly the things that really matter to you start to come to the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm laughing because I turned 46 on Saturday. So that's why I was ah, thinking of like next year. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, what do I want to do? The other thing I was going to mention, I'll put it in the show notes, but The other way to do this is to really look at your core values. I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. ever done core value work, but I did a whole podcast. I was a guest on someone else's show about digging in specifically how to figure out what your core values are. Mm -hmm. And then if you have your top three, you can say, okay, how does this activity, this chunk of time, you know, honor my core value of X and If it does, great. If it doesn't, you can make that conscious choice. But knowing that it, you know, then you can kind of figure out why you resent or get annoyed at certain things. And and so it's just like one of my core values is just to be happy. Like, I just want to be happy. So I choose things that kind of honor that core value, even if it's not a tangible thing that's pushing me forward in my career or in my fitness or in anything, you know. I love that so much. And I think that that also is a beautiful way to build that intuition. I know when I've been asked to go to events before or, you know, like birthday parties or or other things, and I've always been like, should it? You know, we tend to should yeah. ourselves. <laughs> oh, but I should go because it's a long lost cousin of my friend and so on. Oh, I should do it because otherwise, you know, maybe I won't get another opportunity. And my husband, he's always very much a realist. And so he often says to me, what was your initial gut reaction? Like, what was your first thought? And my first thought, I, and I have to admit, oh, my first thought was dread. And he's like, yeah. well, there you go. You know, that's your intuition. Before you start shooting all over the town, the the initial reaction was like, you didn't want to go. And so really listening to that. And I think that's beautiful that one of your top um, priorities or one of your top values is to be happy because then it's, it becomes that much easier to be like, okay, will that make me happy? You know, because in, as soon as you read or you hear about that invitation, either you light up or you feel this bit of dread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And it actually helped me even when I was in the corporate world, because, you know, one of my one of the things that made me happy was like traveling and going on amazing vacations. And I'm like, okay, by doing this job, it is helping me, you know, make the money so I can do that. So I am honoring that value. And just even putting that as opposed to like, oh, my God, my boss, this reorganization, this deadline, I was like, oh, no, I'm doing this because it allows me to do this thing that is one of my top priorities in life. And so it actually just shifted my focus. You know, it just enabled me to be happier with where I was and find more meaning in that. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, 
I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. Because it suddenly feels empowering, right? Rather than feeling like a victim, oh, I have to go and I hate this job or whatever. Suddenly you're, you feel very empowered. Well, hang on. I'm in charge. I'm the CEO of my life. I'm going in there and I'm doing this because it's getting me to point B. Yeah. And so you, you start to feel like you have more, more, um, more control in your life and more fun and enjoyment that you get out of it because you feel like you are the one making the plans that life is not happening to you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, so I was laughing because a big part of, you know, the stories in your book, and I loved your personal stories because they became very like tangible. I was sort of like, yep, done that. Oh yeah, I completely (laughs) see that. A big part of it was around being everyone's social directors, having people sort of take advantage of your home and coming in and Mm -hmm. staying on your couch or staying in your guest bedroom, you know, all the time. And so how has that shifted for you now? How do you kind of like be like, (laughs) all right, no thanks. You know, you talked about someone, a friend coming to stay with you and you like worked night and day to finish this deadline and then when she stayed with you, she was like, oh, actually, I'm doing all this other stuff and kind of used you as a crash pad. Yes, yes. I was devastated because she called me. She said, can I have, can you do me a favor? And I said, of course, because I said yes to everything. And she said, oh, I'm coming into town. And she was coming from overseas. I was thrilled to see her. And I worked myself to the bone in the weeks leading up to her visit because I was just thought we could clear our calendars and have this amazing time. And when she arrived, she was she, she, when I picked her up from the airport, we're driving home. She's like, okay, so I can do lunch or, or dinner tonight, but then that's it. I've got a, a fully booked calendar the rest of the week. So she didn't want to spend time with me at all. She just wanted a place to stay. And I was devastated. I sobbed myself to sleep. 
And so now um, what happens is I ask a lot of questions. <laughs> oh, okay, so you're coming into town and then what are your plans? And then, uh, you know, I think this can be a really good tactic of curiosity. In, and this is something that I think I, I really I had so much miscommunication in my past life because in my past life because I um, was too scared to ask people questions. So now I'm sort of like, oh right, and so you're coming into town, and so what are your plans? And so that I have these um, realistic expectations, and if their plans are to, to do and see a lot of other people, I'm like, okay, well maybe just come stay with us for that one night, and then go on, and you can stay with the other friends, or you can go, you know, yeah. go on from there, um, because we have a lot of things on as well, and you know, I think. Um, that, you know, again, coming with practice of, of, because in the book as well, like I start with talking about my first wedding and how I sort of bent over backwards to make everyone happy and how it became so unmanageable to have like these 80 people flying in from different places who all wanted different things and they wanted to stay with me or they all wanted extra help with their booking their accommodation and so on and I was so burnt out it was just it was just crazy and so now I I really take a step back as well like I when I stopped drinking, I had to say to myself, you don't have to be that person anymore. You don't have to be the social organizer just because everyone expects you to be. You don't have to be the one stepping up and being first and saying, yes, I can do anything you want me to do. You don't let someone else do it for a change. And so I, I really start to uh, step back and, and ask those questions. And so if anyone is struggling with that, where they feel like they sort of give an inch and people take a mile and they have a lot of people wanting and asking things of them, uh, coming around to that curiosity can really help where you sort of get everything out in the open. Again, coming back to those boundaries, being honesty is asking them what their intentions are. And, mm -hmm. and then you can also come back with your sort of counter offers. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was literally about to say counter offer because we don't feel like we can do that. Right. And so once you get curious, you're like, Oh, I'd love to see you. I'm coming into town. You're like, yeah, that's great. I mean, even, people who, who want to get together here. I am looking at my coaching schedule. I'm looking at what I have on my calendar, trying to figure out like, I'm like, oh, do you mind coming to Redmond? Because we can go to this great lunch place. Like it doesn't mean you have to drive 40 minutes away and take all this time. And if they're not able to come to you, you're like, oh, okay. I mean, it also tells you something about how willing they are <laughs> to accommodate, you know, come to you as opposed to bending over backwards. So, you know, certainly like you're allowed to counter offer on anything like, hey, let's get together and let's do this big full day overnight thing. Be like, oh gosh, I would love to see you. How about X, which is yes. breakfast or lunch or I'll stop by at the end. Like you don't have to like take their first offer. Yes, yes. And I always would, right? And I would have these people who sort of had wishy-washy plans as well, which would drive me crazy, where they'd be like, oh, maybe I'll be, we'll meet up there, or maybe we'll meet up there. And I would leave my calendar open, trying to figure out where we were going to meet. And so becoming more confident as well is more about that, is being able to go back and say, okay, well, I, I can meet you between two and four. If you're going to be at this place, um, let, like, we can go to this place. Otherwise, um, I 
could meet you again in two Sundays time. Um, really coming forward and I think taking your power back by telling them when you're available and where would be convenient to you. Like if you definitely taking that steering wheel of saying, okay, well, let's meet here at these t- this time. And that helps with communication where everyone's on board with exactly what the plans are rather than these wishy-washy plans. Um, but it also, again, it helps you feel empowered where you're like, okay, well, no, I, I know exactly what's happening rather than giving your power away, letting other people sort of <laughs> change the plans or, you know, hijack your entire weekend. Yeah. And it also helps to like, put things on your calendar for yourself, right? So many Mm -hmm. of the like we're grasping for the last, you know, the last dregs of any time or energy or schedule. Like we've got, we've got work, we've got kids and we've got house stuff, right? And we attempt to say, you know, Hey, on Wednesday night, I'm going to go to yoga or on Sunday morning, I want to do this thing. And actually putting that in the calendar makes it way easier to say no to other stuff because you're like, oh, actually, I already have something on my calendar. I can't make it. Mm-hmm, exactly. I already have plans. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, when I was reading your book, I loved this part. So you said two things. You said, for years, I was the ultimate chameleon, perfectly morphing myself to fit in with the crowd. I was petrified of not being liked, of being a burden, of doing anything that might hurt someone's feeling and of the slightest confrontation. And then this was the reaction, the payoff, which is what I felt too. My people-pleasing habits left me with an overstuffed calendar, unrelenting anxiety that someone, anyone might be mad at me and a complete inability to get through tough conversations without having a heart attack. <laughs> I mean, that yes. summed it up for me. Yeah, exactly right. It nails and hits the nail on the head because these were all the things that I was so worried about and I was constantly shape-shifting. And another thing that I talk about is often I would assume I knew what the person wanted from me. And so I would, for example, there was a friend who wanted, who mentioned that she wanted a cookbook for some dinner party that she was putting together. So I thought, oh gosh, she can't find that cookbook. I better run around all over town and find it for her. And it was sold out everywhere. So I was running around to different shops and stuff. And I finally found it and I presented it to her and I expected her to throw her arms around me and cry with gratitude. (laughs) And instead she was like, oh, okay, thanks. I actually don't need that anymore. (laughs) And I was like, what am I doing? Like I'm sort of doing what I think people want me to do, but my assumptions can be completely off, can be completely wrong. And, you know, I I, I maybe I'm acting more quietly because I think they want me to. I'm acting more uh, going because I think they want me to. But like I'm I'm guessing like all of this exists only in my own head. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I did this recently with my mother. I actually just got back from a trip to Ohio. It was like a three to four day trip. I hadn't been to Ohio in a decade. My sister lives there. And my mother had, you know, We'll see if she listens to this. Hopefully, no. She had, you know, started off being like, "Let's have the whole family go to this resort in Indiana." Don't ask. Um, that you know has like golf and trails and stuff like that, and it was sort of like a surprise. Like, ta-da, we're gonna go do this. And I'm like, okay, I live in Seattle. I've got work. I've got family. My husband, my son, my daughter. Like, what? 
And then it sort of morphed into something else and then something else. And so finally I was like, okay, mom, I just want to make sure what is important to you? Like, what is important to you in this? Like, because we've had three different versions of this plan. And to me, they were coming out of nowhere. They were totally unrelated. You know, I, and they were like a week at a time. And I'm just like, okay, I want to make you happy, but what is, what is it that you care about? And she said, okay, it's really important to me that Lila, my seven-year-old, spend time with Abby, my sister's 18-year-old, before Abby goes to college. And I was like, okay, that is what you care about. And she was like, yes. And I was like, all right. So what that did was took my husband off the table, took my son off the table. Like I was like, all right. So it's not a week at a resort in Indiana with the entire family and the guys and all this. I was like, okay, you and Abby and Lila hang out. And then it ended up being like, all right, three nights is enough. We're going to fly in on a Wednesday, fly out on a Saturday. What my mom cared about was going to be taken care of. And then I could like not feel like my entire life was being driven by this other thing. And if I hadn't asked that question, I would have been, you know, strong arming my husband and my son and trying to get them to take vacation time. And my mom didn't care about any of that, you know? (laughs) Exactly. It's just like assuming what they want and you would be feeling resentful because you'll be like, great, now we all have to go and this is such a big hoo-ha. And yeah, exactly. And instead being curious and asking those questions and developing those communication skills where you're like, okay, let me get to the bottom of what your point of view is. Let me get to the bottom of what your request is actually about. What's the thing here that's the most important to you? So I love that. Yeah, because she was clearly upset at, you know, and feeling irritated and resentful and that we weren't meeting her needs or jumping on her great ideas. And so, which is fine. I don't want her to feel that way. But it I never would have figured out what the issue was <laughs> until I actually asked. And, you know, I actually think it was good for her too to actually be asked like, okay, what is important to you? Why do you want to do this? I'm happy to do it for you. It's just like, let's get clear because there are a lot yes. of moving pieces here. I love that so much. And, you know, there's so much that's wrapped up in there. There's the conflict resolution, there's the communication skills, there's the boundaries. And, you know, really we, we get to this better level. Like now your relationship with your mother since then is, it's reinforced because you had this level of honesty about what's this about? She feels honored. You feel respected. And it's this beautiful, um, you know, symbiosis where before, you know, if we, we just sort of like dream up of their ideas, oh, I guess she wants us to go because of this, or she, I guess she wants us to go because of this. Instead, you have this miscommunication and everyone feels grumpy. <laughs> yeah. And it's not this automatic yes. And also like, you know, people, when you assume you talked about this, that like <laughs> assumptions rarely get anyone what they want, like just asking the specific questions, then you're like, okay, I can meet your need because that is important to you. And I can edit it, you know, the counter offer so that it actually fits into my life, my schedule, my needs. And it's so important as well, like if we're in a conflict, like if we're in an argument or, you know, someone is, is really taking a strong stand for what they want, this is such a helpful thing as well to, to, to get to the bottom of what the conflict is about. Because often we can get into these arguments and we think we're arguing about one thing, but if we stop to be like, well, hang on, why, why do you feel this strongly about this issue and take the time to listen to the other person and hear their point of view, we can resolve the conflict so much more easily 
in with so much less anxiety because we're actually understanding, oh, that's why you're so mad about this thing. I thought it was actually about this or, you know, my my side of it was actually this. Yeah. And if anyone's listening to this and having heart palpitations at the thought of, you know, any of this work, I totally get it because it is difficult, right? It is it is a muscle to be used. That's why sometimes the scripts can be really helpful and putting, you know, like you said, what are your top priorities? Um, figuring out how to say no, practicing that on low stakes things, like really like, I'm going to say no to this small thing. And I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go through that exercise and then get out of that and feel okay. And then you can work up to the bigger things. Definitely. And it can be very emotional as well. The first few times that you do this as well. Like I, I remember I had, um, like a family, family, um, issue where they, I felt like they had sort of left me out of something and I was really hurt about it. And I wanted to confront them about it. This is my family of origin, obviously not my children or anything. Um, and so I went to see them to talk to them about it. And I had no experience of speaking up for myself and they'd never seen it from me. So as I went in there, I was having heart palpitations. I was sweating. I didn't know whether to, to cry or poop my pants. Like I was just a mess. I sat down with them and I, you know, said like, when you did this thing, it really upset me that you, you left me out. I was really shocked that you would do that. And they were very, I wasn't sure what their reaction would be, of course, which is what makes it even more scary. And their reaction was like, oh gosh, we had no idea. Like, because I calmly explained and don't worry, before that I was angry. I was all sorts of things, but I didn't go in there with all guns blazing. I went in there with wanting to get to being closer to them and not to drive us further apart. So I went in there thinking, what could the solution be? Okay, they left me out of this thing because I guess they they were going to a big drinking thing and they didn't think that I would want to go, which was correct. I didn't want to go, but I wanted to just be consulted because it was around Christmas and and so I said to them, you know, like, why don't we like come to a, a, a solution? And so I just stayed focused on the solution as we talked about it because it helped me to remain calm. And this is something that can really help you as well in conflict resolutions. Everyone listening is that if you ask a lot of questions, you find out what the other person's point of view is and you stay focused on a solution that will bring you closer together, if that is your intention, of course, with this person. <laughs> um, and so for us, I said to them, look, I, okay, I, I get it. Like you like to do those things and I'm not into those things anymore, but well, let me think of some things that we can do together. And why don't we do that on some of the Christmas days? And then you go and do the other things on the other Christmas days, like coming together and wanting to walk away from that conflict with a closer relationship. And I think so often we go into these conflicts wanting to fight for our own point of view, forgetting that our ultimate goal is to be closer to someone, like especially if they're our loved ones, not to fight for the position of the biggest victim or to fight for the position of I, I was right and you were wrong, but instead to be let's resolve this so that we reach a new level of understanding in our relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it is a journey of self-discovery. It is a journey of growth and figuring out how to honor your own needs. And it's it's not easy, but once you stop drinking, it's something that you can kind of see with more clarity and, you know, actually evaluate what you like to do with your time and what you need to feel safe and taken care of. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. That self-protection, self-preservation, self-care is so important as we learn to find our feet in sobriety. Yeah. Anything else you want to share about the book? Um, just that I really hope that it helps to, um, to build that confidence. Cause I know that's something that I, I, I struggled with so much in those early years. And if I can make it that little bit easier for anyone who, who reads the book, then I, job done. That's what my biggest hope is that it helps them to feel um, less alone and to know that not everyone is born with these skills innate in us. Like not everyone learned them when we were kids or at school. And so we can practice these skills. We can get better at them. And the more we do so, the more we build ourselves back up, the more we build our, our self-confidence and our self-trust and we learn that we always have our own back and I think that's where confidence really comes from is believing that no matter what happens no matter what other people do or say or you know what happens in my life I can trust myself I've got my own back I I will always be my biggest advocate and I think that is where we can gain unshakable confidence yeah and so many women struggle with this like almost Mm -hmm. every woman I know struggles with saying no and people pleasing and worrying if people are mad at them or don't like them. And the more that we're able to exercise those muscles, we actually give permission to other women to do the same. Exactly. Because I watch women and when they say no in a way that I think is really classy, I'm like, oh, I like that script. I'll start bringing that into my repertoire as well. So we we learn from each other and we help to then build each other up and to, to overcome these expectations. And the beautiful thing is, is that, well, then we break these generational cycles as well, where we can start to teach children the way that um, how they can stand up for themselves. Yeah, because you're not, you know, otherwise you get into sort of the martyr or the victim or, mm-hmm. you know, all those things that don't serve you well either. No, because it, they, those things just make you feel bitter. And instead, when you're feeling like happy and you've said no and you feel like, I said no in a way that was kind, but that considers my own time, you feel good about yourself and everyone around you benefits. <laughs> yeah. And you would be surprised at once you do that, that other people are actually happy. They're not upset. Yes. The thing that you've <laughs> built up to be like, oh my God, I have to say this, but they're going to be really pissed or whatever. They're just like, oh, okay, like water off a duck. And I'm like, holy (laughs) shit, seriously? And it blows your mind, right? The first few times. And I was like, well, that was an (laughs) anticlimax. Okay. Uh, Or they respect you more because you are honest. And I I love that as well. Like I love that aspect of it. The more you do so, the more you're like, wow. And then you respect others who are honest as well about their times and, and boundaries. And sometimes when you're like, wow, that was easy. I should have done that, you know, yes, years ago. Exactly. Why didn't I do that? Why was I stewing on it and making myself ill worrying about it? Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I love this book. So it's Chameleon Confessions of a People Pleaser. Is that right? Yeah. Confessions of a Former People Pleaser. Yes. <laughs> and you can get it at Amazon or any bookshop. What's the best place for people to find it? So you can find it, you can come to bexweller.com forward slash books, or um, it's at Amazon, it's at, um, it'll be at all the online retailers. So Target US, Walmart, it's at Independence, Barnes and Noble. So you can find it anywhere where you order books online. Perfect. And it's really good. I, I just read it on my flight to Ohio that I was talking about <laughs> and my flight <laughs> home and I truly enjoyed it. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you, Casey. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.